radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 45, recorded on Friday, August 20th from Milwaukee. We wanted to record an episode <laughs> last week. And we did. And we did. We just didn't save it. So we come back this week. Take two. <laughs> I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we discuss the latest updates concerning what's happening in Afghanistan. But first, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. So catching up on two weeks of headlines. <laughs> Three, really. Oh, God, you're right. There too, yeah, you're yeah. right. Let's start with the historic bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed recently, weeks ago. <laughs> recently, a couple weeks ago. <laughs> So it is a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill that just passed the Senate. Weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) When we wrote this, it had just passed. It passed with 69 votes, including Mitch McConnell. So how did we get Mitch McConnell on board? (laughs) Asked him some lettuce, some really nice crisp lettuce. (laughs) Figure that's probably the best way to motivate him. So let's break down what's in the bill. And this is, it's been criticized as being a very heavy corporate bill. Like a lot of this money is going to go to big construction companies, things like that. Energy companies. Yeah. yeah. But that's kind of what infrastructure is. So it's hard to just say, no, this should all go to small businesses and and individual people. I mean, I'm not going to build a road or a bridge. Why not? Because I don't want to. All right lazy but 110 billion dollars is going to go to roads bridges and other major projects which i don't know i'll do a major project for a couple million dollars 66 billion to rail 39 billion to public transit 64 billion to broadband and power 25 billion to airports 55 billion to clean drinking water and 73 billion to clean energy this bill does still have to go to the house once they're back in session and that'll be next week and house speaker nancy pelosi has said that she will not even bring the bill to a vote unless the senate also passes the three point five trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill which is not likely to pass in its current form because of you know who you know who's who's and that bill is actually the bill that has the money for community college for health care for child daycare and child tax credits i mean listen to our breakdown of it what was like two months ago right so that's the one that really is not the just going to these large construction companies and energy companies that's the one where you would see a lot of that money going to private citizens i would say literally the people so that's the one that has more democratic support and will have zero republican support mitch mcconnell has already stated that no republicans will vote for it so they have to get all 49 Democrats in the Senate plus the tie-breaking vote from the vice president, which means they need to get Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And Houseboat Mansion. Houseboat Mansion. <laughs> Don't cast aspersions on houseboats on this podcast. <laughs> 
So now I actually have an honest question for you, though, Jason. Do you think that Cinema and Mansion will actually agree to this $3.5 trillion budget proposal? No, not as the $3.5 trillion proposal that we have right now. They will have to make some changes, which means then it has to go back to the House, just like this Senate bill did. So we're pretty much going to be going back and forth with these. And you've got the progressives in the House that could potentially block this bill if it goes through. Nancy Pelosi saying that she won't even bring it up for a vote unless the $3.5 trillion, the the reconciliation bill goes through. And President Biden himself, who said that he will not sign the $1 trillion bill without the reconciliation reconciliation bill as well. So while, yes, everybody wants to tout this as being this historic bipartisan bill that passed, the reality of it is it it has not passed yet. And on its own, it's not nearly enough. You need at least the vast majority of that $3.5 trillion bill to make this one worth it. Right. Well, we talked about it before in our previous episodes about it, where stuff like this, you have to do it correctly and you have to spend money to do it correctly. And if we're going to talk about bringing more income and bringing better infrastructure to we'll say more impoverished area or areas of America we have to spend the money to do it we can't half ass it you know if we talk about and I remember we talked about like um it was the um the highway reconstructions right where they put highways in many many decades ago into neighborhoods that are predominantly people of color and it just destroyed those communities and a part of that infrastructure bill was to actually help revitalize those communities and create better infrastructure around those because we screwed up so bad before yeah one one interesting headline that came out of this uh, was one of the gop senators had to defend the one trillion dollar bill the the one that passed the senate because it had the word equity in it and some crazy conservatives were calling that of course critical race theory So he literally had to go out and defend his voting for this bill. And the language was basically boilerplate language that's in every federal bill like this, just saying that they basically could not be racist in handing out these funds. But that's what they want. They want (laughs) to be racist. That they had to hand them out in an equitable fashion. But that, even just the word, just triggers equity these days. Yes. Good Lord. Enough to bring them mob so we'll keep an eye on this and hopefully next week when it passes with flying colors and no problems at all happen and mansion and cinema are super awesome and they pass their reconciliation part of the bill in the senate like with no complaints at all we'll give you all the good news next week let's move on to mike lindell's cyber symposium when i say cyber symposium naturally you would immediately think silicon valley no no that's the fake Oh. Tech- technology hub in the United States. That's just for Hollywood. Okay. The real Silicon Valley is in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> The heart of the technology infrastructure in the United States. You know, I don't think I know a single fact about South Dakota other than Mount Rushmore's there. I'm sorry, South Dakota I, listeners. It doesn't have much else. <laughs> well, it's the tech center of the United States, apparently, <laughs> according to Mike Lindell. So in this three-day event, the MyPillow CEO had promised to provide the evidence of voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election, including packet captures of the data for cybersecurity 
experts in attendance to examine. The reality was he did not provide any evidence, later claiming that he did not want the media and other malicious hackers to spoil his evidence before he can present it to the U.S. Supreme Court. And my favorite part is just he physically just announced, hey, if you're a cybersecurity expert, come on in and we'll he, show you all the evidence. He and was, they, they literally go, challenge accepted. And a ton of them came in. They're like, He where was is promising it? a $5 million reward yeah. <laughs> for anyone that could disprove his evidence. And then he refused to provide it. And I have a quote from Mike Lindell. Oh. I've been told that they can go out there and corrupt it and make fake stuff and put fake news out. <laughs> So I don't need your people to go out and doctor the evidence and put out a Mike Lindell's a conspiracy theorist. Well, hold on. The thing that makes you a conspiracy theorist is the fact that you're not putting out the actual evidence. And you're just coming up with crazy conspiracy theories. According to him, China hacked the 2020 presidential election in order to support Joe Biden, who apparently is China's favorite candidate. Yeah, of course, right? Most attendees did not return after the first day. <laughs> you might expect after basically being repeatedly subject to uh, watching documentaries that Lindell produced touting election conspiracies and uh, implicating Dominion voting systems. Well, apparently, so Lindell had like this entire schedule put out or like promised for people. And then the entire time, most of the day, it was, it was supposed to be like this like nonstop, yeah, like he, three day convention not, or something like that. Yeah, no breaks, no yeah. nothing, 72 and, hours straight. And the vast majority, at least, of the first day before most people left, or after most people left, which was just nothing but just re-showing his documentaries of um, Absolute Proof and Absolute Proof 2, just over on repeat. <laughs> and long lunch breaks. And then, yeah. <laughs> And commercials for my pillow and my pillow coupon codes. Oh my! I, I I'm not even gonna bother looking because I saw this last week and I just don't care about finding it again. But at the end of the first day, they interviewed a guy who was like a super hard Trumpy guy there trying to support Mike Lindell. And the reporter, I can't remember from where, asked him, "So how did you feel about Mike Lindell's first day or for his like first day of the conference?" And then he just stares at the camera and just goes. <sighs> Well, there's two more days. That was actually a producer from Mike Lindell's TV Thank you. station, yes. Yes. TV channel, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was great. And of course, Mike Lindell is being sued by Dominion Voting Systems. Which he found out during the event. <laughs> For $1.3 billion for defamation. The footage that I saw, uh, Mike Lindell went on numerous incoherent, rambling, nonsensical rants during the event. I tried to listen to as much as I could, and half the time I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> it just used like multiple sentences converging into each other while he's speaking, and his thought process kept wildly fluctuating between different topics. And just as a reminder, he is a former crack addict. I say former, maybe oh, so current. That's, that's doing a lot of work right now. <laughs> I, if you watch any of the footage from that event, yeah, that word former might be as of at least between August 10th and the 13th. <laughs> I also claim that he was physically attacked in his hotel on the final day of the event. 
there was no visible evidence, which fits the theme of the event, <laughs> uh, and no police report was filed. So I don't know who attacked him. Maybe, you know, hey, somebody snitch, that he... Snitches get stitches, all <laughs> maybe right? Maybe somebody that he owed some money to. <laughs> I don't know, maybe for a product. I don't know. Uh, he also could not even convince Steve Bannon, who was in attendance for the event and was asked by Salon what he thought of the claims of voter fraud. Steve Bannon said that he would need to see additional evidence. Big surprise. Oh, my God. Because he certainly didn't see any at this event. So it was basically three days of absolute nothing and rambling conspiracy theories from Mike Lindell, which is all he's been doing since the election. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. So, okay, and this happened last week. But here's where this story gets really sad for me. Last week, I asked Jason, so how many people were actually at this event? And we couldn't find it. We didn't know. So we did a quick Google search, and the first thing we saw that popped up was a Milwaukee Journal Sentinel article saying that one of the top investigators appointed by Voss in Wisconsin. Robin Voss, the state assembly speaker. To look into Wisconsin's supposed election fraud, went to this thing along with a Republican state representative and a member of our Wisconsin Elections Commission. Yeah, this is the person that's in charge of our upcoming election investigation, the former state Supreme Court justice. And he went to this thing. Yep. So we've got that to look forward to. They also visited the audit in Arizona by the Cyber Ninjas. <laughs> Which should actually be coming to a conclusion very soon. Did you see that? It was that? supposed to be months ago. But I mean, so <laughs> I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> They can milk the taxpayers of Arizona and the conservatives who are donating to their fund for a bit more, I think. Next up in some little bit old news, Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned over sexual harassment allegations. Despite claiming multiple times that he was not going to resign. And so this was a wild story, and we're not going to go too much into it because I think it's been covered pretty thoroughly at this point. Long story short, a recent report was released by New York State Attorney General Letitia James detailing the accusation by 11 women spanning over seven years. The accusers included executive assistants, aides, members of the press, a state trooper who was on a, the governor's security detail, and multiple state employees and women Cuomo encountered at public functions. The accusations ranged from inappropriate and sexual comments to creating hostile work environments, unwanted hugging and kissing, something Cuomo admits to and blames on his upbringing, which we'll talk about later. Because he's Italian. Did you see those shirts, by the way? Now there's like shirts saying like, I'm not bad. I'm Italian or something like that. Or I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not a I'm, rapist. I'm right. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I gotta love the internet sometimes. And other things like inappropriate touching, including an outright groping of an assistant's chest under her blouse. Something yeah. which might turn into a criminal investigation once he is no longer the governor next week. Right. As a quick heads up, there were no new accusers with this specific report. So this is something we actually already knew already. All of these accusers had come out publicly between the time the investigation started a couple of them before the investigation started but since the investigation started and when it was released all of these 11 women had come forward in one form or another and then after the release Cuomo tried to do some kind of damage control with like that insane video and that's where the whole like I'm Italian that's where I just I touch and kiss people all the time there was a PowerPoint presentation it was was so bizarre it was like the most like boomer thing I've ever seen in my (laughs) life and then said screw it I'm gonna resign anyway and they resigned 
He's gone. Good. After the entire New York delegation, Chuck Schumer, the president, everyone told him that he needed to resign. Under all of that pressure, he finally did. uh, And then, you know, said he didn't want to be a distraction. So that's why he resigned. And good. I'm really glad. Now, granted, I don't want to do like, you know, this is how one side's different than the other things. I think it is a little bit different here and there. But I do want to point out the fact that when it came push or when push came to shove, Democrats stood up and literally said in unison, get the hell out. We don't want you. There was no fighting for trying to have him still stay in. There was no trying to, you know, disparage any of these women. There's a strip. We don't want you. Get out. Before he was even elected president, Donald Trump has publicly admitted to much worse than any of these allegations. Yep. And he's been accused of worse still by multiple women. So good. Get the bad people out. We don't want him here. And as we said in our previous Andrew Cuomo episode, I believe the title is Screw Andrew Cuomo, if you want to listen to that one. He's beyond creating a hostile work environment for the women on his staff. He is known as a bully and someone who abuses his political power and has been accused of doing just that in covering up the statistics from nursing home deaths and COVID infections. And that was turning into a huge scandal right when these accusations became public. So hopefully New York can move on and elect someone that will better represent their state in the future. So let's move from New York to Florida and talk about their current COVID apocalypse that is burning through that state. As of yesterday, August 19th, the current seven-day average for new cases in a day is up to a startling 23,793, with the individual new cases being at 15,586, which surpasses the numbers that they were at at the height of the COVID epidemic earlier this year. January 8th was their previous high during that time, where their seven-day average was 17,991 new cases. So we are into well uncharted territory at this point with the numbers there. Uh, The high being August 10th at 56,000 new cases on that single day. So it's going really well in Florida (laughs) right now. Um, Deaths are also spiking as well as hospitalizations. Hospitalizations currently at 16,507, up 39% from two weeks ago. And deaths are at 201 yesterday, which is up 178% since two weeks ago. So yes, things are not not looking good in Florida. And to put things into perspective, Brevard County, a pretty decent, I think, populated area in Florida, was so overwhelmed by hospitalizations because of COVID. They actually asked their citizens to not use 911. That's how bad it is right now in Florida. And at the end of the day, I think it kind of all comes down to leadership. What do you think? Leadership and just an unwillingness to accept the gravity of the situation. Florida is kind of known as the armpit yeah not the most well-educated not the most sane state in the united states and i think they kind of are embracing that identity as it comes to covid they've had anti-mask rallies mask burnings that we've talked about
about in previous episodes. Well, and we should talk about this as well, where it's it's not just because they're not getting vaccinated. At least as of right now, Florida's vaccination numbers are at least on par with a lot of the other country. As of right now, they have at least 51% of all ages vaccinated. 81% of 65 and older are all fully vaccinated. And um, 61% of 18 and up are fully vaccinated. Those aren't bad. And it goes up even higher when they have only one dose. The problem is this Delta variant doesn't necessarily care if you're vaccinated. At least when it comes to getting infected and spreading infection. Exactly. So even though a lot of these cases are much more mild among vaccinated people, hospitalizations are still up because of the number of unvaccinated people who are just refusing to do anything else like wear masks or socially distance and things like that. Quarant- self-quarantine, try right. to stay away from crowded areas. You look at pictures of the beaches in Florida, concerts, things like that. It's it, it's like COVID doesn't exist. Well, and again, I go back to it. You have leadership to blame for that. Ron DeSantis has led like an entire war on any kind of rational proposal to help stifle the spread of COVID. He did literally almost every single thing wrong and continues to do so. He's, I saw a report that it was stated that he's more concerned about the upcoming presidential election and the possibility of him being the Republican nominee than he is worrying about the COVID crisis in Florida right now. I'm sure because he's kowtowing to Trump's base right now to the scientifically illiterate and just generally ignorant bunch of people who just hate being told what to do. Anti-authoritarian. Right. Anti-expert. But it's not even, no, no, no. We're not even going with that because it's (laughs) not even anti-authoritarian because even when schools want to actually put mask mandates in place for their own school districts because they're getting hit so bad, he wrote um, executive orders saying that they can't even do that. He wrote executive orders banning businesses for mandating masks. I don't even want to talk about freedom or like the idea of what people choose what they want to do because it's not even doing that. You're restricting people and it's all about telling people what to do and having the government get involved because they just don't like following the rules. They should repeal all public health laws in Florida don't require people to wash their hands when serving food. Don't require people to wear clothes when they're in a restaurant. Okay, it's all what you shouldn't be able to tell me what to do. If I want to get salmonella, then that's my business. And if I want to spread it to everyone in my family, that's my choice. And all my customers at my restaurant. Well, it goes back to to that. It goes back to that stupid Lauren Boebert article we read last week where she had this weird, stupid guise of, and maybe this is a good time to talk about this as well. I am sick of this guys and just delusion of we should all be about free choice and let people choose what's best for them. I'm absolutely sick and tired of it because it's not even an honest argument. Because when you ask people, okay, so that means if we're going to let you choose, you're going to choose to get the vaccine, right? Or if we're going to let you choose, you're going to choose to do the right thing and get a mask and wear a mask, right? And it's always no. So I don't want to ever hear about how someone doesn't have the freedom to choose because it's not even about choosing. It's about they want to be willfully wrong and then just not be told otherwise. And it's not like we haven't mandated vaccines before. Right! I had to get vaccinated before I could go to school as a child. I'm going to go back to that Lauren Bober article again where she was talking about how it's important to have or good decisions made with your own doctor. But her point of that entire opinion piece was to say, well, we don't always listen to our doctors. Then what's the point of all this? Then what are we doing here? Why, why are we having any of these regulations 
solutions in place ever for anything like you said before. Yeah, I used to work in a factory environment. You had to wear hearing and eye protection anytime you were out on the floor. No one was like, oh, it's my freedom. I can't see with these goggles on. Oh, I can't hear what the person next to me is trying to say. I should lose my, I should be able to lose my hearing. Let me take these things out real quick. Well, did you see the new articles about, um, it was a couple of doc or a couple of nurses who are making the headlines now because they are getting fired by a local hospital chain here in Wisconsin or southeastern Wisconsin because they refuse to get the vaccine. Did you see that? I did not see that oh, article. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's I coming knew up that, here too. Yeah, that, that local healthcare, like Aurora. Yeah. I was trying not to say the name, but yeah, we, it's Aurora. <laughs> Whatever they're going to sue us for saying their name. <laughs> yeah, that, they, they recently mandated vaccines, and this couple of nurses basically said, I don't want the vaccine because they're worried about vaccine side effects. And I swear to God, <laughs> and props to, um, even though I think they're still more sympathetic to these people than they should be, but props to WSN 12 for actually getting this correct, where they immediately fact check it and say, well, they're worried about these particular vaccine side effects. And literally, the chances of getting one of those side effects is literally 0.000000023%. That was their chance of getting one of those. Was it like Guillain-Barre syndrome or something? No, it was like... um. I was like myocarditis or something like that. Okay. It was ridiculous because I'll like, I think I'll like the 350 million doses we've had so far in this entire country, just in the COVID vaccines, there were like 762 cases, which might just be background noise too. Right. And not related to the vaccine. But yeah, I, I've seen that people, well, we don't know what the long-term effects are. But these are medical professionals. These are supposed (laughs) to be people who are supposed to know these things, and they're not following what's going on anyway. So, again, I guess I'm jumping all over the place, but when we have people in authority who are misleading us... You're being a little Mike Lindell right now, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Where's my drugs? So, but even then, like, did you see, um, this section's all about, did you see, did you see the whole Matt Gates thing? Other than in the show notes just now, no. So Matt Gates in a rally in Florida in front of tons of cheering fans talked about how people are overplaying the Delta variant for some reason compared it to, you know, saying like, well, now we have the Delta variant. Now, then we're going to get like the, the Kappa Psi Kappa variant and the Pi single, whatever Greek alphabet variant, you know, whatever. But then goes on to say, I've got the free freedom variant i've got the florida variant he said which might very well become a real thing in the future looking at florida's covid right and literally goes it affects your brain it helps you think critically (laughs) it does affect your brain i'll give them that god and these are leaders these are our thought leaders because they know that's what their base what the conservative base wants to hear everyone cheered they're holding up trump 2020 signs everywhere in 2021 You know what? I didn't even see that. I didn't even notice that. It's ridiculous. That's what we say. The conservative Trump conspiracy theory QAnon person, and there are millions of them across the country, are morons. They don't have any basis in reality. They are gone. They are idiots. There is no communicating with those people. There is no rationally explaining. When they're going to cheer for one of the stupidest things I've ever heard anyone say, which is this speech that Matt Gates just just said about i've got the florida variant i got the, <laughs> the freedom, freedom variant. variant you're gonna cheer that during a global pandemic in which over 600 
thousand Americans have died. There's how do you reason with that? And I never would have expected this years ago. I'd always kind of thought about these big global pandemics, you know, the bubonic plague, the Spanish flu, these like life altering events that happened in the past. And, you know, what would it be like in the modern day now that we've got all this technology, people are so much better educated and communication is so much better. You know, I would have assumed it wouldn't be like that. And then to watch a video like this, where a United States representative in his home state, which is currently being ravaged right now, which as we talked about those numbers, hundreds of people are dying every single day in Florida, mostly due to the Delta variant, just mocks it and saying that that's stupid, that he's not going to take any precautions, even though, spoiler alert, Matt Gates is vaccinated, everybody, so he's lying and pandering. But these idiots in the crowd are just lapping it up. That's the America we live in. Or at least live in for now until we die of a disease because people can't even take the most basic precautions to keep themselves and everyone else safe. One thing Florida is trying to do to prevent deaths from COVID infections is Ron DeSantis has started opening Regeneron clinics to give monoclonal antibody treatments to people that are already dying. Okay, so what does that actually mean? So they're opening up multiple clinics uh, in the area, in in Florida, to start the treatment. Now, this treatment is expensive. Uh, It's much more expensive than vaccination. It's being currently paid for by the federal government, government handouts. So these welfare treatment recipients, it takes more than an hour to actually administer. So it's very time-consuming. So people are having to wait a long time in these clinics. And they're also quickly being overwhelmed by the vast majority of of COVID patients that they currently have in Florida. There was a photo that was being widely circulated on social media showing people lying on the floor. Oh my God. In pain while waiting at a clinic in the Jacksonville downtown public library because all of the wheelchairs were already being used. Oh my God. So DeSantis is okay with doing this, but not just urging people to get the vaccine. So one theory that I saw, which I consider to be a conspiracy theory, and right. I don't think is accurate, All right, is that one of his top donors runs a hedge fund that has some uh, stock in Regeneron. Regeneron, the company that makes Regeneron. But they also, of course, hold stock in Moderna and Pfizer as well. So I don't think that that has anything to do with it. Right, it's probably pretty vast. And like right, it's diverse, a hedge fund. It's right, you know, it's big, big diverse portfolio. So I don't think that has anything to do with it. I do think that DeSantis knows that this is going to be a huge public health crisis, and there is nothing that he loses politically by pushing these monoclonal antibody treatments. It's not politically an issue at because this he's, point because he's doing something at least. Well, if he were to push masking and vaccines, he would have to pay a heavy political price. All those people that we saw in that Matt Gates clip holding the Trump 2020 signs and cheering the I have the Florida variant, the freedom <laughs> variant. All those people are not going to support someone who tells you to wear a mask and to get vaccinated and to socially distance. But they don't care if you say if you have COVID and you're dying, go to a clinic and get a Regeneron treatment. There's no political price to pay for that. So that's why he's able to push this and uses his 
office to push for this treatment because it's not politically a hot potato, which is the stupidest thing. Like this treatment, yeah, it will studies show a 70% reduction in hospitalizations when you're already infected, whereas with masks and vaccination, the number's like 95%. And I will also say too, I mean, throughout all this chaos, Ron DeSantis has taken a political toll as well. He has paid a political price for this, where there was a recent poll that came out a little while ago for most part, like throughout, like we'll say like the early parts of summer up until May, DeSantis was probably approval rating was around like the 50s to 60s. Like people in Florida liked him. I don't know why, but they did. Despite him being an out- overt racist. Correct. Previously. Now, they also just polled the people again last week and it tumbled all the way down to the low 40s. So, I mean, that's over like a 10 point drop just in like two months because of what's going on right now. And shocker, right? People are dying. Florida's a hotbed right now. And, you know, I know we talked about this in the last episode that we didn't record, which was Florida is far worse than where they were when we were at the height of like the COVID panic. You know, when they were talking about having, I think what was like 19,000 new cases a day, that was typically what we were seeing as their their high point. Yeah. And now we're in the 50,000. Right. Exactly. They're tripling the numbers that they used to have. That's how bad it is right now. So of course he should be tanking. Hospitals are filling up. Alabama has a waiting list for ICU beds. Yep. It is not good. And you were still getting this pushback on taking preventative measures, trying to protect children. But yet, well, if you get it and, you know, you're, you can't breathe, yeah, you can get treatment. We'll give you an, a, a very expensive, time-consuming treatment that we're not going to even have the space in hospitals to give you that will have to create pop-up clinics in public buildings in order to administer this. And hopefully there's enough nurses that are vaccinated and safe that are able to give it to you and they're not all dead but that's a viable solution but don't tell people what to do don't tell them to wear a mask when they're around other people don't tell them to go get vaccinated to prevent this from happening in the first place i've said it before i'll say it again the whole covid pandemic is the perfect response to anyone who tries to tell you that we should let the free market or the public decide anything because when they do we get florida we get people lying on the floor of the public library waiting to get a treatment. I'm currently waiting to see all those um, comparisons to Cuba because every time something bad happens in America, Republicans immediately start comparing them to Cuba and Venezuela. Have we, have we had those yet? I don't think so. I haven't seen any Republicans talk about it yet. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about leadership that does actually work well. That cares about public safety? And cares about science. So who are we talking about? We're talking about New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Like Democrats and liberals like dream from afar from across the ocean. <laughs> Everything we ever wanted in a, a leader and a president, New Zealand has. You may remember how New Zealand has kept their COVID numbers extremely low to literally nothing because of their pretty harsh lockdowns whenever they got a single COVID case or COVID outbreak. Well, they just had another locally transmitted COVID-19 case in New Zealand. The first one since February. Yep. And guess what they're doing? I will say, I will guess that they are going to be under the strictest level lockdown for the next three days. Everyone's grounded. Under Go to your rooms. Level four lockdown. DEFCON 
Lockdown 4. See, we don't even have levels in our lockdowns. What the hell's this stuff? We're too free to have levels in our lockdowns. <laughs> so now I just made myself upset because I'm sure there's actually some conservative that actually finds that like as a good thing. Like, yeah, see, we're so free. You know, like unlike those art countries that actually have levels to their lockdowns, we only have one, which is just lockdown. I bet I could find somebody who actually thinks that's a good thing. Oh, I'm, I guarantee you there's multiple. Our state legislature and Supreme Court would be where I would start. Right. During a press conference on Tuesday, Ardern said that authorities were assuming it was the contagious Delta variant, although genome sequencing is still underway. An unvaccinated 58-year-old man in the country's largest city of Auckland, 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 tested positive for the virus. She shut it down. Not in her country. Also said that he had traveled to other parts of the country. Like Florida. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if it was Florida and he came back and brought COVID back to you? <laughs> well, it had to come from somewhere, right? So I think that's what, because if you find one person who's infected and you don't have any obvious mechanism for that to have happened, like he wasn't just in America or wherever, then guess what? You have a lot more people who are also infected and they realize that. And that's why they're doing this quarantine. Because yes, you found one case, but you know that there's actually a small outbreak because of the fact that you found one case. So good. It's nice to see leadership actually does what they're supposed to do. It makes me happy. And I'm sure everything will be back to usual soon there, much sooner than it will be here especially because they're taking this seriously. That's what you need to do in order to open your economy back up and everybody get back to work. You need to treat it seriously and take extreme measures at the start and stop the spread. And then you can go back to... And speaking of stopping the spread, we'll go to our last headline, which is the White House recently stated that we'll all be getting booster shots for COVID-19 very soon. I think approximately eight months. Yeah, eight months is the date that, that I saw as well. And actually, it's still not officially happening as of yet because they're still trying to figure out a couple of details here and there, uh, most likely because they're trying to figure out if you can mix and match the three different main vaccines. So like, what would happen if you have like a Johnson & Johnson vaccine for your main one and then get a booster of the Pfizer or Moderna? I did see, I think it was like a study or two that shows there's some possibility that you can definitely take a booster of a different brand and they actually still have pretty decent protection. And actually, I think in some cases it had better protection than if you had extra shots of the same brand. So I'm sure it's just a matter of time before they start it up. So because we're talking about eight months and eight months ago was January here, back in January, that was during the beginning of the vaccine rollout where we had specifically people in long-term health facilities and first responders that were eligible. So they would also be the first people eligible to get boosters. Well, literally our most vulnerable, right? Right. Including all of those nurses that don't apparently want it. So now I'm concerned, Jason, if it was such a hassle getting this far. Oh yeah, people will scream bloody murder now because like, well, you told me I needed to get two shots and now you're saying I need another. Science doesn't know anything. When will this ever end? Even though, as we talked about previously, we get yearly flu shots, or at least we should. Mm -hmm. Which is still, I think, also at, like, what, 50-some, 40-some percent every year? Yeah, it's not nearly as effective as the COVID vaccines have been. Oh, I'm talking about, like, actually, like, people actually taking it. Oh, people it. getting it? Yeah. Nah. Uh, although, although you are also correct, too, in right. that circumstance. Yeah, no, very, I, I would say I'm surprised if the number of people that get a flu shot every year is at 50%. Could, we, could you imagine if we had, like, 70 or 80% 
10th flu shot every year, how great that would be. Well, we saw what happened this year during flu season when people were actually being responsible and wearing masks and keeping away from each other, we especially if they were sick. Yeah, we basically eradicated the flu season. Yep, because we were just being responsible. It wasn't even because of the flu, but the side effects of not being gross and going out into public when you don't feel well. Not being around kids. <laughs> They're just germ infestations that just walk, cry. No argument here. <laughs> so according to the White House, their booster plan actually is going to start in late September. They're looking at starting the week of September 20th to be exact. We'll see how that goes. That also depends on just what they find in the recent research results. But yeah, they're ready to start going again. Round two. Here we go. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. Let's move on to our main story this week. What's going on in Afghanistan? So we actually were going to talk about this last week, but we didn't have a lot of info at the time. Now there's... When we recorded it, it looked like Kabul was going to fall. The Taliban had been moving swiftly through the country and was they were expected to be in charge very soon. That time has, of course, already passed. So Kabul did fall. The Afghanistan president, Ashraf Ghani, fled to, I think, Tajikistan on Sunday as the Taliban took Kabul and said the quote, the Taliban have won with the judgment of their swords and guns and are now responsible for the honor, property, and self-preservation of their countrymen. The Taliban took Afghanistan. Before the United States even withdrew. Correct. And now don't get anyone wrong here. We also expected the Taliban to eventually take back Afghanistan. That's what the most um, foreign policy experts thought was going to happen anyway. What surprised so many people was how fast it happened. Or at least surprised one person good point <laughs> so let's talk about what happened what actually got us here what some of the issues surrounding afghanistan are so let's talk about the history of the withdrawal of troops from afghanistan and what set that up kind of how we got to where we are today correct so this is actually an ongoing process from the trump administration you see back in february the trump administration made a deal with the taliban to february of 2020 thank you yes um, to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan over a 14-month period of time, while the Taliban also agreed to ceasefires. During that time, there was going to be an exchange and freeing of U.S. prisoners as well as Taliban prisoners. 5,000 Taliban prisoners that were being held by the Afghani government, and these negotiations did not involve the current Afghani government at the time. Uh, we just talked about Pre President Ghani. Mm -hmm. So kind of interesting that we made this negotiation and agreed to free prisoners that we really shouldn't have had the authority to do, which kind of explains the relationship between the United States government and the Afghanistan government at that time. Right. The Taliban also agreed to not let Afghanistan become a haven for terrorists and agreed to start peace talks with the Afghan government after the um, United States military left. It also laid out a timing for the United States and NATO allies to withdraw troops over time in the first 100 days or so they would reduce troops from 14,000 to 8,600 and leave the five military bases then over the next nine and a half months they would vacate all of the rest that was at least the plan which set the end date of occupation at may 1st 2021 correct on november 17th of 2020 the acting remember this is 
after Trump lost the election, and chaos no one, ensued. yeah, no one was like an actually confirmed member of his cabinet. Like everyone had left. <laughs> so we have acting Secretary of Defense Christopher Miller formally announced that the U.S. will reduce the forces in Afghanistan to 2,500 by January 15th, and they did. So on January 15th, we had very low troop presence in Afghanistan. 2,500 soldiers. Well, and even when you look at it, too, I mean, the idea of having only less than 10,000 soldiers for the entire country is not much at all either. No, they, so having only 2,500 soldiers there by the time Biden took office, they're in a precarious position because you can't really go back on anything at this point because you're just putting those people in danger. They can't do anything if the Taliban forces decide that they're just going to take over. 2,500 Americans. American troops are not going to stop them. Correct. And especially if most of the Afghani soldiers that they had trained don't really want to fight for them. And we'll talk about that. So by the time Biden took office, there were approximately two to 3,000 troops left in still in Afghanistan. And then he eventually had to delay the withdrawal process even further from May 1st to September 11th. Or so he said. Or so he said, at least. The Taliban pushed back against that and said, if there's any U.S forces there after the May 1st deadline, that that would be the responsibility of those soldiers would be 100% on the United States and that they would not be held responsible for anything that happened. And that basically made Biden change to the August 31st deadline, which is where we were currently at. So he kind of backpedaled a little bit from September 11th, which was, of course, very symbolic, Yep. even though, again, the Taliban Taliban did not attack the World Trade Center. That was Al-Qaeda. And it wasn't just Afghanistan terrorists. It wasn't at all. It was Saudi Arabian. Right. But so that's if you want to. Which also hosted in Pakistan, too. So Right. So if you want, like, why were we in Afghanistan to begin with? Because our intelligence said that's where Osama bin Laden was. And they definitely had Al-Qaeda bases in Afghanistan. And the Taliban was working with Al-Qaeda. Yes. So that's why we invaded in the first place. And there were some potential for a surrender by the Taliban early on, which the Bush administration did not accept. We're not really going to go into the, the exact details of it. But then, obviously, Osama bin Laden fled to Pakistan, where he was eventually killed. And al-Qaeda presence was basically gone from Afghanistan fairly early on. And then we decided that we were going to build a democracy and make it basically a stronghold. Right. Yeah. And use it as a base yep. to wage our war on terror. And that went on for 20 years. So then game back to the present day, a couple weeks ago, right as when the United States started withdrawing more troops from Afghanistan, the Taliban officially started marching on and taking cities across the country. Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, fell on August 15th and the Afghan army and government collapsed immediately. Now, there are several different reasons why the Afghan army collapsed so quickly. There are reports of Afghan military personnel laying down their arms and deserting their positions and many of them joining the Taliban on the spot. So a little history repeating itself, because when we talk about Al-Qaeda, the United States military created, trained, and funded Al-Qaeda during the when they were the Mujahideen during their war with Russia. So we propped up this group in order to fight 
fight a proxy war with Russia, which eventually came back to yeah, not went, be a good decision. It went really well, didn't it? Yeah, as what always happens. So we did exactly that same thing again now, where we trained and funded and gave a lot of military hardware and equipment to now the Taliban. Yep. So uh, hopefully they know how to use all of that military hardware that we left for them. And the uh, people that we trained are now part of the Taliban because they never wanted to be part of a Western puppet government in the first place, which we should have known because that's obvious. And I would really recommend a Washington Post article that I'm going to link into our show notes. So basically, there were reports that were being circulated about these illicit deals between the Taliban and low-ranking Afghan government officials, where it could be anything from money or power or just general ranks within the Taliban government as they try to take hold of Afghanistan in the future. It could be a million different, or it could literally just be like straight up fear like they don't want to die too. Like there's a million different factors that went into these types of illicit deals. Um, but these deals initially offered early last year were often described by Afghan officials as ceasefires. But Taliban leaders were in fact offering money in exchange for government forces to hand over their weapons, according to an Afghan officer and a U.S. official at least. And these these people are not stupid. These officials, no, they're not. They know what's going to happen. They well, they know. all know the Taliban's going to take over. Right. Well, why was the United States negotiating with the Taliban instead of the Afghan government in the first place? Because everyone knew, apparently, except for Joe Biden, that this was going to happen. Well, and even like the higher up officials, like they had absolutely no respect for Ghani at all. And so when it came pushed, came to sub, they turned on him. He's just a Western puppet. That's yes. the way he's perceived. That's what everyone knows. His government was exactly as strong as everyone thought. It didn't last a day without the full support and cooperation of the United States military. So 20 years for absolutely nothing, which is what you see a lot of consternation about and a lot of veterans that, yes, all of the time, all of the effort, all of the pain, your fellow dead soldiers and injured soldiers for absolutely nothing because everything that we gained in Afghanistan was lost is gone anything that we needed to get which was getting rid of al-Qaeda in the Afghan invasion was done very early on and all of the rest all of this nation building exercise that we did was for nothing as it has been since we talked about this in our lost episode when's the last time this worked World War II in Japan, occupying a, a country and then actually propping up a successful government. Ever since then, it has always failed. And the history in Afghanistan, this has failed for hundreds of years. It's called the Graveyard of Empires because it never works. How do you feel about people calling it the New Saigon? Well, they had we had almost the exact same visual with the helicopter <laughs> flying out of the embassy as it was being taken over. I'm not old enough to remember Saigon and, and the failure of Vietnam, but yes, it's the same way. I'm not, people think that just because we spend so much money, we have so much technology and so much equipment, that the United States military somehow cannot be defeated in this way. We've been defeated in this way over and over and over again. Why is there still a North Korea? Mm -hmm. It's because you cannot just go into another country and occupy them with military force and then expect that once you leave, they're going to, to keep your government and your leaders in place, and they're not going to just want to govern themselves. And is it a good thing? No, it's the Taliban is terrible. 
things are going to be much worse for women, for children, especially girls. They are an extremist Islamic caliphate. Yes. And life is going to be overall worse for people under their rule. But in order to prevent that, do you want to occupy a country indefinitely and just... And basically be the civil war or be one side of the civil war? Yeah, never ending. I mean, we talked about Saudi Arabia. They're horrible when it comes to civil rights there, too. And, and we do business Yemen, with them all the time. Yeah. North Korea, there's... Every day, the American army could invade some country and improve their their humanitarian efforts, improve their civil rights. Is that what we should do? And just kill tons of people, th- throw away American lives, throw away lives of every country that we don't agree with their laws. And that's not how you basically improve the world by just killing everyone. There is a thing called diplomacy and things that you can do to improve and we had 20 years we had 20 years we could have built a reason for them to want to keep their government and we couldn't do it and i don't know what the answer to that is i can't tell you everything that the the u.s military did in 20 years in afghanistan and what they could have done differently i have no idea but we knew everyone knew that this is exactly what was going to happen and that all of our efforts there were a waste for a long time and that kind of brings us to the next point i wanted to make which was the Afghanistan papers that were published by the Washington Post. In 2019, right? I think it was. You don't have the date on here, but I think it was 2019. Sounds right. It comes from, and some of this, some of the segments from this were published in 2016 by the Special Inspector General Afghanistan reconstruction known as SIGAR. This is an office that was set up specifically to oversee the government that we were building in Afghanistan. So in 2014, they started conducting interviews with over 600 people with firsthand experience in the war. They released these reports called Lessons Learned, which they started releasing in 2016. I remember these, yeah. They were heavily edited, very difficult to read, a lot of of acronyms and things that don't make any sense to anybody who's not already steeped in in all of this knowledge. And 90% of the interviewees were anonymous. So Washington Post, which it's an interesting story that they actually started investigating this because they were looking at Michael Flynn during the Trump scandal. Uh, and Michael Flynn should still be in jail to this day with his involvement. Okay, and, and of course he's not. Russia, yeah, but he got pardoned by Trump. So they were actually investigating Michael Flynn, and they found that he had done these this interview with the cigar. And when they tried to send a Freedom of Information Act request for these interviews for the actual raw data that was behind these, they got denied. Now they ended up having to go through three federal lawsuits to finally get the information, and they published it, as you said, in 2019. And there's also a book that just came out mm-hmm. um, by the reporter that that did this investigation about. It. But again, there is a ton of information here. I don't want to get into all of it. We'll, we'll link it. It's a it's, whole. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's very, very long. But essentially, it shows several 
of those, the government officials, people that were involved in this is from all around the world, Afghanistan, London, Brussels, from NATO here. Several of those interviewed described explicit and sustained efforts by the U.S. government to deliberately mislead the public. They said it was common at military headquarters in Kabul and at the White House to distort statistics to make it appear the United States was winning the war when that was not the case. And the one quote or set of quotes that I want to give you here is from Douglas Lute, who was a three-star army general who served as the White House's Afghan war czar during both the Bush and Obama administrations. We were devoid of a fundamental understanding of Afghanistan. We didn't know what we were doing. What are we trying to do here? We didn't have the foggiest notion of what we were undertaking. If the American people knew the magnitude of this dysfunction, 2,400 lives lost. That That's one hell of a statement. Out of everything that I read, like that is incredible. So that is a three-star army general, the person that is supposed to be the expert on the war, is the Afghan war czar for two different presidents. And that's what he was saying privately. Literally asking, what the hell are we doing in these inter- And publicly, meanwhile, everyone, the generals, Bush, Obama, Trump, was saying, were saying that the war was going great, that we were making all these improvements. Oh, Afghanistan, it's it's this democracy in the Middle East. It's such a great, you know, oh yeah, we're facing some challenges, but things are improving every day. Meanwhile, the, the people that actually know what's going on are saying, no, this is not going well. Everything is going to fall apart. Why are we here? They don't know who they're fighting. They don't know who their allies are. They don't know what they're even supposed to be doing there because we never had a clear plan of what we were doing in the first place in Afghanistan other than we were going after Al-Qaeda because of their involvement in the September 11th attack. But that That was it. That's all they had. Accomplished very early on. And what we were there for 20 years. And completely destroyed everything there in the meantime. And the only person that seemed to be optimistic about this withdrawal seemed to be the president. Well, and that brings us back to the current day. So then on Monday, Biden held a press conference about the withdrawal process of, from Afghanistan. And I have a couple of quotes that I wanted to single out so we could at least talk about them a little bit. So here's the first one. We went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11th, 2001 and make sure Al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. We did that. We severely degraded al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. We never gave up the hunt for Osama bin Laden and we got him. That was a decade ago. Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy. And that's kind of what we were already talking well, then about. What were, the question remains then what were we doing? Right. What was the whole point? What were you doing during the rest of the Obama administration as the vice president? What was Obama doing during that time? Why were we staying there then? Why did he not speak out about this during all of the Trump administration. And now this quote is where I kind of get the most upset for me personally. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. We spent over a trillion dollars. We trained and equipped an Afghan military force of some 300,000 strong, incredibly well equipped, a force larger in size than the militaries of many of our NATO allies. Then he went on to discuss how he had multiple discussions with Ghani about preparing for diplomatic resolutions with the Taliban after the U.S. troops left and how Ghani just refused to take his advice, claiming that the Afghan military would actually fight the Taliban if needed. So I am not in favor. I think this is where the, one of the biggest criticisms of this speech was. I am not in favor of just simply
simply pointing fingers at Afghanistan's and Afghanistan's government and saying, well, see, you failed. It's your fault that you failed. It's not our fault. We went in there and stayed way longer than we should have. We didn't even know what we were doing. And we there. had no idea what we were doing there. What? Well, how do you we think completely Afghanis felt? Right. Well, we completely destroyed any resemblance of a country that they had there, any resemblance of a government that they had there. And we're going to blame them because they couldn't actually figure out how to have a well-democratic government in one of the most war-torn countries in Earth's history in less than my lifetime. That's insane. And one of the most unempathetic things I've ever heard. And their leadership only being there because of the support from the United States military. What do you think is going to happen when that support's gone? Exactly. And that's what makes me so upset. Now, granted, yes, was the Afghan government inept? Of course they were. It was a kleptocracy. They were only interested in shoveling whatever they could into their own pockets. And the minute that the money train was gone, they left. Well, and even then, Biden's quote about being incredibly well-equipped is also not even true, where a lot of rural areas were just easily overtaking because they had no equipment at all. And they were just sitting ducks waiting for the Taliban to come take them. A lot of the military was uh, U.S., not only U.S. soldiers, but contractors like Blackwater. That's where a lot of that money went. All those people, defense contractors, they got a lot of money out of this war. And we provided them with air support. They have no air force. Well, and we also have to remember, too, that the Afghan government and military have taken way more casualties than the United States government has, where we've had over 2,400 or about 3,000 um, actual lives lost during this war. The Afghan military have taken over 60,000 casualties in, during the yeah, same there's amount There's been time. fighting with the Taliban this entire time. And the, ta- or, and the Afghan military was the one leading the charge on those. We were supporting them, but we were supporting them in their own efforts. So they were actually leading the way, supposedly in complete contradiction to what Biden has been saying. Right. I'm sure they were sick of fighting the Civil War for 20 years. Well, they were. That's exactly what it was. Because what, what were they going to have happen? Even if they tried to keep doing this, okay, what was going to happen when they left? And they knew that. Like you said, they're not stupid. Especially when they have no support from their government. They know what's going to happen. The United States is negotiating with the Taliban. So who are they going to believe is going to be in charge once the United States leaves? Exactly. And especially when we free five 5,000 troops for the Taliban who are now the leaders and the president of the new Taliban Afghanistan government is someone that was freed by Donald Trump. Yep. Took a picture with Mike Pompeo. Then yesterday, Biden actually went on an ABC News interview with George Stephanopoulos where he doubled down on his previous remarks on Monday. Um, there was one particular quote I wanted to say here. There was It was a nice long interview. I'll link the whole thing for you, but here it is. Stephanopoulos asked Biden so you don't think this could have been handled this exit could have been handled better in any way no mistakes and Biden goes in response no I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there we were gonna go back in hindsight and look but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gone out without chaos ensuing I don't know how that happens I don't know how that even could happen which I can agree I understand that there would never be a way to withdraw without chaos then it should have been planned a lot better than it was that's not the way that the Biden administration went into this withdrawal. They didn't go in thinking, okay, it's going to be chaos. The Taliban's going to immediately take over. So what we need to do first is make sure we get 
anyone who is vulnerable out. Get all of the American citizens that want to leave out first. Get all the Afghan citizens that want to seek refuge that are going to be potentially killed by the Taliban because they either worked with the United States or they might be a, a population that's going to be abused by the Taliban, like LGBT, if they're educated women, anything like that. Let's take care of them first between January of Biden coming into office and now August that we're in currently, let's let's make that happen. But that's not what he thought. He thought that the Afghan government was going to be stable enough. Well, he took a gamble. That was the whole thing. But he's the only one. The thing is, you look at the, the Afghan papers, you look at Donald Trump's quotes. This is a situation where I will say Donald Trump knew what was going to happen better than Joe Biden. I don't think I've ever said, though, words <laughs> one of the stupidest presidents we've ever had understood this situation better than joe biden and joe biden needs to own up to that he and his administration whoever was advising him made a severe mistake and it's already cost hundreds thousands of lives i'm sure you've watched that horrible video of the the u.s plane taking off from the Kabul airport with yep. people clinging on to the landing gear and falling thousands of feet to their death yeah as the plane took off because they feared what was going to happen to them after the Taliban took over. You can't, no, I, that was fine. I, I couldn't have done anything different. No mistakes. Well, so let's talk about that. So regardless of everything that's been going on so far, now the main issue is about how we're going to help these refugees or how the best way to help these refugees is exactly. On August 17th, Biden deployed 6,000 troops to Afghanistan to regain control of Hamid Karzai International Airport and to assist in the evacuation of Afghan citizens. General Mark Milley, the nation's top military officer, the guy that you saw own Matt Gates before in his critical race theory stuff, super cool guy, said that the U.S. is evacuating about 500 people per hour out of Kabul International Airport. And then also Biden tweeted out today saying that we have already evacuated more than 18,000 people from Afghanistan since July and approximately 13,000 since our military airlift began on August 14th. Here's the problem. Well, there are multiple problems. But first one is they have trouble getting to the airport. See, the Taliban have set up multiple checkpoints all around the country among many of the roads that lead to these major airports. Non-citizens seem to be being let through just fine, at least for the most part. Mostly probably because they want them out. They want them they out. They don't want to keep American citizens in Afghanistan because that's just going to bring them trouble. Exactly. And I mean, buying house will threaten pretty harsh consequences if they did anything. So yes, they just want them gone. However, Afghan citizens are being extremely pressured to stay. There have been multiple reports of harassment and assaults by our Taliban soldiers. There have been reports of soldiers ripping up citizens' documentation and forbidding them from proceeding through these checkpoints. Also, there are like tons of videos going around on social media of kids getting whipped and children being taken away from their parents so that parents can't leave their kids. Horrible, horrible stuff. And even if the Afghan citizens can actually get to the airport, we still have a trauma where we are abysmally slow with issuing visas for these people so they can actually seek refuge within the country. One of the biggest criticisms right now aside from the fact that he shows literally no empathy for the Afghan people in his statements, is that we have one of the slowest bureaucratic nonsense processes for getting something that should be done extremely, extremely quickly. And like Jason said before, Biden made a choice where if he knew that this was going to happen the way it did, he had the option of actually creating what's called special immigrant visas or a process of implementation of special immigrant visas well in advance. He didn't do that. And he said why he 
didn't do that in his speech on Monday. Quote, I know that there are concerns about why we did not begin evacuating Afghan civilians sooner. Part of the answer is some of the Afghans did not want to leave earlier, still hopeful for their country. And part of it was because the Afghan government and its supporters discouraged us from organizing a mass exodus to avoid triggering, as they said, a crisis of confidence. Now, I call BS on the fact that all these Afghan citizens just wanted to stay and protect their country. <laughs> I call absolutely BS. When you have a completely war-torn nation where they're fleeing for their lives and there are reports and documents showing that thousands upon thousands of people are begging to be taken away from Afghanistan. I do not believe that there's this weird plurality of people who are trying to stay and fight for their country against the Taliban for the American government of all things. But maybe Jason, we can also maybe agree that if he did actually pull out or start pulling out even earlier, that could have led to even chaos sooner happening. Well, the Taliban was always going to move in. It would have happened a little sooner. But again, this is something we could have negotiated with the Taliban ahead of time. And we didn't. And it didn't happen. So he didn't start until much later. And now we have thousands of people without visas who are stuck in Afghanistan who are fearing for their lives. Luckily, there is some movement on this process. The Senate eventually voted unanimously to pass more funding for um, SIVs or the special immigrant visas. But only after seven Republican senators delayed the process for multiple days because they're worried about refugees coming in. A week later, 16 Republicans voted against visas for Afghans who helped the U.S., including Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, the crazy ones. Oh, they're totally not extreme racists. And one thing I really recommend checking out, too, um, there's actually a really good um, New York Times daily podcast about this, about the thousands of translators that are being left behind who helped the United States military throughout this entire 20-year war. Biden's administration claimed that they have helped approximately 2,000 translators get visas. Great. That's fine. But there are currently still over 20,000 other translators who have been serving and helping our military overseas who are still stuck in Afghanistan, currently being targeted by the Taliban as we speak right now. And that's why I recommend listening to the daily um, podcast for this one. It was about a guy, I think it was either like Robert or something like that. I think they used a fake name where he was in hiding every time he was doing the interviews with the New York Times. It's in, These stories are absolutely insane. And what's even worse is that if you include the families of these translators, we're looking at over 50,000 people who are trying to get out of Afghanistan who cannot, who are currently being targeted. And these are people who've actually helped our country over the last two decades. So that's pretty bad stuff. Unfortunately, it gets worse because even though there are a bunch of crazy people in Afghanistan, we have some crazy people on our own shores. Moving from one type of religious fanatic to another. We now have the new culture war that's going to start up. If you guys remember, I believe it was in 2018. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. Back when we had the migrant caravan panic. You remember that? Yes, the the caravans of migrants coming to take all our jobs and our women. Get ready for another panic just like that because that's all what Republicans have been talking about. Tucker Carlson on Fox News said, if history is any guide, and it's always a guide, we will see many refugees from Afghanistan resettle in our country in the coming months, probably in your neighborhood. And over the next decade, that number may swell to the millions. So first we invade and then we're invaded. It is always the same. First we go into a country, we destabilize it, we kill a bunch of people. And those dirty savages have the audacity to come here. And seek refuge from the war that we brought to their country. I mean, that's, I mean, we already talked about how bad Tucker Carlson is with like the white replacement theory and garbage like that. Well, this is just pure racist. Right, 100%. Then you have Laura Ingram, who is also a Fox News contributor, saying, is it really our responsibility? 
responsibility to welcome thousands of potentially unvetted refugees from Afghanistan? All day, we've heard phrases like, we've promised them. Well, who did? Did you? Again, who cares that we killed their families or got their families killed across a 20-year war in their country that they had nothing to do with? We don't have any responsibility to them now. And even at home, Wisconsin Congressman Tom Tiffany recently tweeted out, quote, disturbing reports that 5,000 Afghans per day are headed to the U.S., including Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. Afghanistan is a dangerous country that is home to many dangerous people. All can see Kabul is in chaos. Conducting background and ID checks on thousands of Afghans in pandemonium is impossible. The Biden admin's plan to bring plane loads into the U.S. now and ask questions later is reckless and irresponsible. Biden should take Afghans to third countries, not even third world countries, just third countries. Third party countries. Where vetting can be done safely and thoroughly, the White House must also ask local officials for consent before releasing tens of thousands of Afghans into our communities. It's all just racist fear-mongering. I, the I dirty even... Afghans are going to come here and mess up our white, clean country. So this is like racist inception crap right here. Though. Not only is he saying, don't let these dirty savages come into our country, but let's put them in another country first. You know, let them deal with it. And then they have, once they get all checked out and they have the We'll take blessing, the good ones. The, yeah, to come here, then we'll take them. Like if there are any white ones. Keep in mind, this guy is in the northern part, or he represents the northern part of Very Wisconsin. Very rural. Yeah. <laughs> and what's also kind of interesting to kind of round this all out is the general public opinion about this. Now, this is still a new developing story, so opinions are changing rapidly. A recent morning consult slash political poll found that 49% of registered voters support the withdrawal, which was down from 69% in April, so only a few months ago. While Republican support fell from 52% to 38%, Democratic support also dropped from 84% to 69%. Still, just 37% of voters said they disapprove of the withdrawal in total. The other problem is that, unfortunately, polls are contradicting. We also have a Yukov poll that recently found that support for withdrawing troops from Afghanistan fell from 50% in July to 40% in August. And another poll from Data for Progress found that 51% of surveyors still approve of Biden's withdrawal. So I think for the most part, the idea of ending the longest war in American military history... I think is still popular. Yeah, and nobody wants to fight an endless war, which is 100% what we were in in Afghanistan. Correct. But when you see pictures of people falling from planes and... Just chaos. The Taliban, just the idea, if you would say, it, we should we withdraw from Afghanistan if that means the Taliban will take over the country, I think that's going to change public perception as well because most people equate the Taliban with Al-Qaeda and they certainly do have some sympathies. Their ideology is pretty close and there are definite ties between Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Right. But the only other option is fighting an endless war. So that's it. We don't have a third option. I think that's what everyone wants. I want the third option where we keep the current Afghani government, but also withdraw U.S. support. I mean, that's what Biden wanted. Yeah. If that's what Biden apparently thought was going to happen. And it didn't and can't. Not the way we conducted the nation building in Afghanistan. And again, was there a way to do it where that government would have been stable? I don't know. I don't think so. Because it's just not popular in Afghanistan. I mean, could you have done something to make it more popular? I have no idea. I don't think anybody knows. But that's not what we did. And it should have been obvious that that's not what we did because... 
apparently that's what everyone who was there was telling the United States government when they asked about it. But for whatever reason, Biden just seemed to think that everything was going to be fine. It wasn't going to be another Saigon, as he said. And while I would say it's probably not to the same level as Saigon, it's still pretty damn bad. And I think the important thing to take away from there is, I know we try really hard, Jason, to make this distinction as much as we can. Don't be like Republicans or conservatives who always follow the party line no matter what happens and always support leadership no matter what happens. Biden screwed up. That's it. Plain as day, he screwed up. He made a judgment call and it was wrong. Is there other context and nuance involved? Sure. Was there also issues coming from Trump's campaign that also bound his decisions? You bet. But he had a decision to make and he screwed up. And now instead of actually owning up to that mistake, he's trying to blame innocent people for it, even though it was completely our country's fault that they're in that situation in the first place. And our responsibility right now is to get everyone who's vulnerable, everyone who is in danger out, out and give them a place to live and live their life peacefully. And we need to take in a large number of Afghani refugees. That's just the way it is. And we need to not be racist about it and claim that they're dirty, dangerous people that are going to destroy our cities and change our demographics. Hold Biden responsible. Pressure him to keep going with this and to get this solved as soon as possible. And voice your support for the Afghani people. They are in a, a horrible position right now that the United States military and government put them in. And we have a responsibility. We cannot just create wars all over the world and then wash our hands of it as soon as we're tired of being involved and leave the people in those countries to fend for themselves. We cannot keep doing that that has been the u.s foreign policy for 70 years and it's gotta stop we don't seem to ever learn that lesson no matter how many times it happens but that's all we have for tonight we'll wrap it up there and we'll keep you posted if anything super important happens with this story see you next week thank you for listening we hope to see you in the next episode you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. See, I know things. <laughs> I know things. It'll make everybody wait while I watch this. Yep. I'm not editing this out. I'm going to leave this whole two minutes in here. And we'll get to that, right? Well, that's that's what we're, that's the next thing. So well, that's what I was leading you right uh, into. Uh, 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 <laughs> Bye. Don't include that in there.